Let's create a pivotal impact. Friends in the industry. So before we get started today, I wanted to take a moment to highlight the importance of mentorship as we navigate throughout our journeys in the transportation industry as people and collectively, but also the ripple effect that mentoring creates. So before we go any further, I want to ask that you think about a situation where you as a person noticeably needed some guidance. Yes, he goes aside. I'm sure there's a time where you can say, okay, Josh, yep, I needed some help. I needed some guidance. <laughs> okay. Now that you're in that thought, can you recall the situation that you needed help with, but also can you recall someone stepping up and being a mentor for you in that moment? So possibly it was your first day at a new company and you were faced with a situation that was completely outside of your scope of experience, or possibly it was the first time you were making a purchasing decision. Maybe you wanted to purchase a truck, but you don't know which one to go through. Now that you have that situation in mind, can you recall the advice that was given to you that ultimately impacted that decision, but also helped you navigate successfully through that particular situation? So I'm Josh Hannabury, your host here at the Truck Focus Podcast. And our mission on the podcast is simple. We're connecting transportation industry leaders to the industry to help create a pivotal change. So in my own journey, I can honestly think of a number of situations where mentors shared timely advice that ultimately helped my decision at that time, but also stuck with me to the point where it's really shifted the way that I navigate in our industry. That's the power of giving, but also receiving mentorship, is it doesn't only impact you in that moment, but it can honestly help countless people through the ripple effect thereafter. And this is exactly what happened to the guest on today's podcast episode, because of some two fine gentlemen that created a mentorship in his journey at a really pivotal time, it's impacted how he's been able to navigate ever since. So I'm super excited to have my friend and mentor on Andrew Stacy CDS. He's a National Commercial Fleet Safety Loss Control Specialist with Aviva Canada. So during our conversation, we dive into the impact proactive communication has when working towards mitigating risk within an organization, but also how the, all levels of management and leadership need to be involved in this entire process. So please note, Although Andrew has been provided approval for his or from his employer to appear on the podcast, the comments that he makes are his and his his own, and they do not represent the services that they offer and doesn't represent the organization. So Andrew's comments are just that, exactly, they're comments, and they shouldn't be considered as formal recommendations or guidance to a company, carrier, or individual who listens to our podcast. Always consult safety industry professionals such as myself for individual guidance. So before we get started in our interview, I wanted to take a moment just to say thank you. So if this is the first time that you've ever checked out the Truck Focus podcast, I really welcome you to our community, and I'm so grateful that you're here. To our dedicated community, thank you again for taking the time to listen, but also for taking the time to apply the advice shared from our industry leaders, and ultimately, you're creating a pivotal impact in our industry because of this entire process. So throughout today's conversation, I really do ask that you consider, okay, what is Andrew saying that I can actually apply in my day-to-day -day operations and situations so you can create a pivotal impact? And what you think of, let me know. Send me a direct message, send me an email, message on the platform that you're listening to, whatever it is, but let me know how you're thinking, hey, Andrew just said this, this really does fit where I'm at right now, I'm going to use it. Again, that way I'm just informed of what's happening within our community, but also that way you can share it out and I can share it out so it can impact others within just our industry collectively. So I look forward to the impact this conversation is going to have. Let's get to it. All right, Andrew, welcome to the Truck Focus podcast. Really excited for our conversation today as we really get to navigate, obviously, who you are as an industry leader, 
but we're going to talk about something that I think is often maybe the topic itself is put into a box with a bunch of other things and it can be missed. And I remember after our first conversation, you really educated me on this component, which is risk and risk management, how to look at risk a little differently than I think I have basically throughout my career. And I really value that. So I'm excited to dive in that today and using obviously your journey, but also your perspectives on how we can really navigate this topic. So welcome, my friend. This is exciting. Oh, thank you very much. It's a, I'm a pleasure to be here. It's a, I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Good. So to start us off, why don't you kind of give us the rundown of your backstory and yeah, what you're up to in the world of transportation? <laughs> well, I'll try to short, <clears throat> sorry, I'll try to shorten it up for you because it started a long time ago, unfortunately. Um, yeah, back in, back in the very late eighties, but, uh, you know, I come with a little bit over 30 years. We'll just, we'll leave that at the 30 year mark. Cause that sounds that, you know, we don't have to go any higher. Right. Uh, but 30 years of transportation, you know, started off as a driver. Um, I, you know, I'm a second generation. Uh, my dad was a driver. He used to pull triples for the Hudson Bay when they first came out in Canadian freightways. They used to compete with one another back in the day. Um, but, you know, I was uh, I started off as a driver. Uh, basically, I focused most of my career in the mountains, um, some ice road driving and, you know, up up into the mines and stuff like that. I had to give that a good go and try that. Uh, some logging, you know, but most of it is just into the mountains. Um, at the very end, before I became an instructor here in Alberta, I decided to, to give the United States a go. Uh, so I've been through every state more than once, um, you know, and, and that includes going into New York City several, several, several times. Um, you know, I, well, and, you know, the funny thing is, is I started off at, or I, I moved away from driving, became an instructor, and then I became a safety person. Uh, safety manager, director, whichever way you want to call it. But um, I found that I did more driving as a safety person than I did as a, you know, as a driver. And that's where you started to do the things that you hated the most, like going into New York City or, um, you know, into Connecticut and New Jersey and all those kinds of places, because that's where the drivers wouldn't go. So you had to do it yourself, right? So, um, but then that, uh, you know, over those years, of working in, in safety, looking after international trucking companies. I worked my way up to a GM terminal manager, and then it brought me out here to uh, one of my biggest things that I've always wanted to do is seriously work inside an insurance company. I wanted to work in insurance only so that I could go and deliver, you know, uh, messages and try to help companies out. And so, you know, here I sit with Aviva Insurance now, and that's exactly what I do. I get to go out and speak with clients, um, give them positive feedback, try to help them out. And, you know, really for me, it's trying to give back what I got over those 30 years. There were two guys the very first night I ever did my very first trip. And that first trip happened on my 18th birthday that afternoon. I took a set of doubles to Kelowna and it was snowing because my birthday happens to be in October. And of course, it, that snows here in Alberta and BC. But I was scared they could see I was scared. I wouldn't admit to it to anybody, but they could see two guys guided me over the mountains that night. And that is what I want to give back. Those two guys gave me so much information and experience within that short time that I was with them that to this day, when I'm out there, I still use some of the mantra that they gave me that night. So. Yeah. The, uh, I call that a pivotal impact where the guidance, they can see, obviously, your strengths. 
They can see you're you're trying to be confident through the oh my god, what am I doing moments, but yet you still hold on to that to this day. Where I think that's really powerful. And again, for those two gentlemen that really were willing to invest into you, I think that's really powerful as well. Because in our industry, that happens a lot, but we're not talking about it enough. Where it's just like maybe you're putting on chains for the first time, and it's just understanding the little tricks. Someone's got to show you those little tricks because you're not learning that in quote unquote training school. So it's a, right. yeah, but it's nice that you see that, but also it's in your blood. And when we first met, obviously for coffee, learning a little bit about your dad, which I think is super powerful, understanding that that basically the mindset, his work ethic, those things get ingrained in you and obviously become your own man and stuff. But it's really nice to see this, the progression. And then there's certain things that happen that you can really hold on to. So I appreciate that. I, I, I did try. I said in the first year, I'm only going to do trucking for a year. And I can remember standing at a fuel pump, putting, putting fuel in. And my partner looked over at me because he was following behind. We we're, we we're doing some, some chasing. And uh, he goes, yeah, you're pumping what's in, what's in your veins into that tank. You're not coming out of this. And to this day, I'm still not out. But you know what? It's, it, it's, it's a fantastic industry. Um, I wish it had a better, um, a better view. I wish people looked at it, you know, on the outside better than just big, ugly trucks doing big, ugly things. But um, it, it, it's fed me. It's fed my family. It's, it's been a good journey. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't take it back. It's, it's given me a lot. Yeah, I agree. I'm a huge advocate for that component of industry too, is what it can provide. And I think, again, just more conversations need to happen and more people in the, from society's perspective, A, from a, a thank you standpoint, what a professional driver goes through for a product to get to the shelf, I think is really important mm-hmm. to highlight, but just all of the, the effort that goes into safety, that goes into compliance, that goes into culture, things that I think a lot of times society is just like, oh, it's a missile driving down the highway. It's like, no, no, like, yeah, there's bad apples that were, I would be fine if they decided to retire out of industry, but collectively, there's a lot of really good people. And you're right, there's opportunity, which you've hit huge, but there's also opportunity to feed your family, to provide a really good life. And yeah, I'm super grateful for industry for those things too. Well, and you know, a lot of times uh, what the public gets to see is the negative side, right? You know, the, the media will post, um, you know, 55 trucks are placed out of service today because of the splits but they don't understand what the real size of the blitz is. They just focus on the negatives and, you know, but they didn't see how many positives went through there as well. And going into the conversation of risk management, it's, it's a lot like that. Like when you're looking at risk management over and above what the safety of the company does, you're trying to put in, you, you got to look for what is good. And because there's going to be risk, that's good. If you don't take risk, you can't you you can't get any further than where you're at, right? So some risk is good, but you've got to understand that risk, but you also got to understand the negatives, right? And once you understand both sides and you try to derive where the company is going, what the overall outlook of it is, you know, is the company looking to maybe purchase another company? Are they looking to grow um, by you know putting additional vehicles on? Are they looking for an owner-operator group? You know, those kinds of things. It can be positive and it can be negative, but you have to understand both in order to understand and manage the risk that you're going to be facing. That's right. So before we dive into risk management, when you transition from a trainer into safety, but yet you're doing all of the more 
sensitive, stressful, oh my goodness, why am I doing this loads? Did you see a shift in your behavior where you're like, okay, I understand the law is written this way for this purpose. So I can't do that anymore. Or were you always pretty conscious of just what you're actually allowed to do when you're behind the wheel? It, it took a, it took a couple, it took time, right. To come out of the seat, you have to, um, and for anybody, you know, that's a driver that's looking to progress out of it into say a trainer or, or whatever, you know, it, it takes time. There's a mentality that, it, and it's not a bad mentality. It's just, there's a mentality when you sit in the seat and you sit in this tin can and you, your mind recreates the world every single day that you're going out. Um, when you come out of that and all of a sudden you're placed in with the company and you're seeing a bigger, broader picture of what's going on, it takes a long time to come out of that. And then when it comes to regulations, I, I do see most of them, I guess you could say. There's, there's some that I, I look at today and go, you know what, you're going down the right path, but we need to tweak. You know, you need to you need to have that um, uh, fixed a little bit. And, you know, so that, you know, not every truck is congested and parked all at once or dispersed all at once. You know, it's there's there's some things that need to be tweaked, but it uh, it it was hard. It was hard to come out of the driver's seat. I I, I will say it. Uh, it took me some time. Yeah, yeah I agree. The uh, you have a in ways of similar journey that I'm on when I look at my progression and what really attracted me to health and safety, transportation safety was the people side and helping people mm. thrive within the boundaries that are laid out within, if it's policy regulation, company culture, whatever it is, but really empower people. And I think that's one of the greatest skill sets that safety as safety professionals can do is understand the different side of the coin that most people want nothing to do with. And I'm sure insurance is really similar where there's lots of things where you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sure that exists. Don't talk to me about it, but you can help people thrive with that. And I think that's a really cool skill set to learn, but I could see the opposite too, where it's just like, I, like I still hold my class one, but I don't think I could drive again because a lot of what I know to me, I'm like, oh, I wouldn't do what I used to do. Like <laughs> I understand the damage that weight can do to an axle or to the road, but yet I used to not pay attention to that component. I'd say, sure, you keep talking. I'm just going to go satisfy a customer. So it's, uh, but yeah, that's an interesting perspective. Hey, I started back in the late eighties and that was right at the end of what you would maybe call the outlaw trucking era where truckers were doing everything that they possibly could to get from side to side. That was an eye opener because we used to do that. We used to do everything possible. Um, it, not drug related. I never got, I never got that far where, you know, we did know some, um, and it was prevalent back in that time. Um, my drug happened to be, you know, coffee. And, you know, thank you to the, the Colombian bean because it kept me going for years. But the, you know, we, we never did things legally, obviously. Right. I mean, that was the, that was the, the game back then. Um, you know, as a, as a safety person, we started to use ELDs and I was watching the drivers with these ELDs and I watched their stress level come down. I watched how many miles they were getting. I'm thinking you guys are doing the same thing I was doing, but I was stressed right out with trying to figure out two books and trying to figure out how to get past the scale or, or, you know, I'm dead dog tired and I still got to get home and you got to be a father and, and, and a husband and all that. And it's really hard to do, but these guys were doing it legally. And I'm going, wow, why, why did I do that to myself all those years? Right. So it would be hard to go back. Um, there's no doubt about it. Um, you know, I had a crash course 
in in trucking and but uh there's been a massive change since i've started right so um it, there there's been points where you know um my wife said it to me you know just a couple of years ago where i was stuck in the old school mentality a little bit and not really feeling the message that i was trying to give uh, to clients and you know she just basically looked at me and said you know hun it's you can get on the bus or you can sit in the bus stop but regardless the bus is going to leave and it's going to keep going forward so i know that you may not particularly like it on your own person but that's not where the world is going so get on the bus or don't it's your choice but don't and and it opened my eyes to it and i thought you know what yeah it is changing so i'm going to change with it and you know i i got on the bus and sat in the front seat that's really good advice interesting how wives can give you that really timely advice where maybe at the time, if you're like myself, I wouldn't want to hear it. I'd be like, but when you reflect on it, you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know what you're talking it was, about. It was one of those conversations that hit like that, right? Like it, it you're right. The timing was right. Everything was perfect. Um, I, I use that analogy when I'm with clients today, but um, you know, for me, it was, that was the one, right? So but it comes and it goes, you know, it's an ebb and flow. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, I like how our industry is very progressive. It's like, there's like a, a big cylinder block on the progressive pedal right now with integration of technologies. And let's look at this and let's look at that. And we we're chatting before we hit record on EVs and alternative fuels and autonomous is next and all these things. And it's like, yeah, it's exciting, but you have to also keep in mind, like, okay, there's an impact to everything. So when something happens, obviously it's pretty standard. So just being able to mentally comprehend it and then also yeah. be mindful of the fact that I want to be with this time. I want to be progressive. I want to make sure that I'm part of a solution instead of, I would call it the anchor to a ship. And when I don't align with something and I know I'm an anchor to the ship, that's when I have to change. And it's either change what you're yeah. doing or change the direction you're going in. So, but yeah, that's really timely advice. Well, and you know, trekking typically looks backwards. I mean, that's my, that's, and I should just say that that is my point of view. That's the way it has been for me and the companies that I've worked for um, to where they always look backwards and they don't look forward into what's coming. They will try to look backwards as to what happened and try to avoid that, but without looking forwards, right? So it's, it's, it's never a proactive approach. It's always a defensive approach. So it's, it, it can be hard when you're having those conversations um, because it is it, inherent, right? It's just part of the industry. So once the industry starts to change, and I think it is because technology is forcing it, um, you're right with the EV vehicles, with ELDs, with um, you know all the all the new sensors and everything that are coming into trucks. I mean, I don't even know that I would want to drive a truck today that's built today in comparison to what I had, you know, uh, my last truck, right? Because again, you know, the old the old boy would come out in me, and I'd want my, you know, my big 18 speed sitting there, right? So it, yeah. it would be hard. Agreed. Yeah, the sensors that can tell when you're scratching your butt or you picked your ear or you're doing all these things. It's like, whoa. So yeah, there's there's value there though. I think that's the biggest takeaway. So, but when we're it looking is. at oh, absolutely, right? So I think that's a good segue because when you you mentioned looking back to be proactive, is that how we can look at risk management? Or how do you look or how can you define risk management? Let's start there. What from like a five thousand foot view? How would you define risk management? And then we'll get there. 
Well, you know, when when there is there is value in looking backwards, right? You're looking back at your at your uh, you know your loss runs. You're looking back at what collisions you've had or what you've had for problems at that point of view. Um, but what you want to do with the risk management side of it is also try to get that proactive approach to it as well. And that's where you know when you this comes from the top. This comes from senior leadership ownership, and it works its way down. And when you have that kind of involvement and you're looking at what the company is doing as a whole and understanding a very holistic view that, you know, the HR team also affects the safety team, who also affects the dispatching team, who also affects the drivers and the mechanics and, and everybody that works inside doing payroll. They're all there's a connection to it all. And you when you're looking forward. That's the time where you sit down and you have your conversations. You maybe have a driver's meeting, but you can use a questionnaire and you give it out to the drivers and you you just ask them, what, what are the hazards you're seeing? What do you see as those hazards? And you can take these hazards and you can grade them, you know, as, you know, um, this is a major hazard. You know, this is a moderate hazard. This is, you know, uh, it's not a big deal. And you can pick, say, your top three or five and start working with those and see what you're going to do. Um, what kind of controls can you put in place that will also help the company get to its destination, whether that be that they want to grow? Maybe they just want to be better on time. Um, by doing this, maybe you're going to affect your overall turnover rate right? with the drivers. Um, it creates a better culture because you are looking forward. It's a different culture. It is. But once you get looking forward and you get looking behind you, you can sit in today's path and try to figure out, you know, um, where you're going to go. There's no right or wrong to it. It And every company is going to be different. Every leader is going to be different. Every every set of managers are going to be different. So you you could have two companies that do the exact same thing. And your your proactive approach could be very different from each company. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, I like the domino effect because they all do impact each other. And having an open forum from leadership to boots on the ground to say, what are you seeing? What are you identifying as a hazard? What's going to hurt you? What's going to cause an accident? What's creating an environment where someone else, maybe it's a customer coming to a property, they get hurt. And then actually talking about that, navigating through that. I like that approach for sure. <laughs> Well, you know, and, and just as an example, I mean, you, you look at a dispatcher and I mean, this goes for me working with dispatchers for so many years. Dispatchers are always left out of everything. They're all, you know, they I mean, for a driver, it's it's the God effect because you're like, oh, there's dispatch. Right. Um, you know, and or, you know, we don't want to get touched by the safety people because that means we're going to be in trouble. Well, you, you don't want that kind of approach. You want to have, you know, so that the driver can feel comfortable talking to anybody and everybody. But the other people can feel comfortable about it as well. But, you know, dispatchers, they never get trained. <laughs> they, they don't get trained on um, anything. And they don't, you, nobody sits with them and says, you know what, here's some hazards that could happen on the road for this particular trip. You know, a hazard going to um, through the mountains to Vancouver is very different from the hazards that if you're an international carrier, maybe a guy going to Chicago or Kentucky, you know. The, the hazards going into the East Coast are going to be completely different from the guy that's going to run down into the Midwest, right? So it's, they, they don't get that either. So there's, there's that domino effect. A dispatcher can have a great um, impact on hazards and, you know, how it runs efficiently. 
and you know they work with the drivers it'd probably create a much better atmosphere agreed yeah i call that leading with empathy where you're mm. actually hearing and understanding what's happening and leaning on each other's strengths so it's a uh, it's an instant hierarchy any do you call it the god effect is that what you oh when you know that's that's the way i felt when i was yeah. a driver when i was yeah. you know, dealing, yeah. dealing with dispatch and stuff like that it was you always had that pit in your gut when you had to call in at nine o'clock in the morning because you just, you know, if they're in a bad mood, that means your day is bad. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I think if we can shift that, but I think a big part to shift the dispatcher's mindset is who's communicating to the dispatcher as well. So that way you're right. They're aware. Cause if there's no training, if it's, well, you understand how to get stuff from point A to point B, you could plan this stuff. It's like, that's not training. Like you got to be really good at problem solving, dealing with people, dealing with high stress situations. And my time as a dispatcher, I had basically three bosses of how I would describe it. So I had the professional driver themselves telling me what they're up against. I try and put myself in their shoes. Then I had a sales guy literally yelling at me that their customer's <laughs> product's not there yet. Then you have your boss saying, why is the sales guy yelling at you? Why isn't stuff? So it was really like, okay, how do we work together in these environments? And you just going back to retention, you would have a higher retention rate. You'd have less probably, if you want to call them the smaller incidents that are still big happening because people aren't so stressed. Oh, I got to get this done. Oh crap, I sprained my ankle. It's like, okay, we well, can mitigate a lot of that. So anyway, I won't go on these tangents, but it's, I like your perspective for sure. Well, you know what? I mean, you're, you're talking hazard and risk right there, right? I mean, the driver, if the driver is late, so what's the contingency plan for that? You know, I mean, there's always going to be that possibility. You could have a breakdown, you could have a flat tire, you could have, you know, a road closure. I mean, we're we're dealing with catastrophic events throughout the country all the time, right? You know, take BC with the road closures and all of a sudden that changes the plantation of the way everything starts to move. Um, you know, you could have a wildfire, um, you know, a mudslide, something of that nature. It's It's all there, but it's all a shock. When it comes to to the people that are on the road, they're they're shocked by it, and then there's no contingency plan on how to get around it. So then it comes up with plan number A, and that's the person that's sitting in the seat that just has the best idea at the time, right? And you know, it, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen still, and that that's not needed, you know, because it is, especially when there is shocking events that happen in the middle of the night. Um, you know, things are going to have to go on the fly. But when you have contingency plans in place and ideas, and we've we've discussed those ideas amongst one another, it um, it I, I think it changes the focus in the way that the the thought train can happen, and different ideas are put in different things. Maybe you're not going to put a driver into that much of a position. Maybe we can change that and do it in an easier way. But we'll deal with the client and the customer. You know, there's a lot of things that can happen with with risk management that makes that makes better sense than just you know, um, not understanding a proactive approach. That's right. That's right. So when you're looking at into carriers from a high level, again, are you seeing trends of risk that would be common, say, in over the road, through the mountains, pin to pin, that kind of thing? Or is it that noticeable or is everyone that different? Um, I don't see a whole lot of risk management. I don't see a whole lot of communication between the two. Um, I do see a lot of, you know, ownerships that will, that will, or, you know, senior management that um, um, has the expectation that they hired this person in this place, so they should make it work. And, you know, so it's a little siloed, right? Which is still the old, the old mentality, or, or, you know, I don't know that I want to call it an old school mentality, but it, it is how hazards are usually, 
you know, seen and found. I mean, you work in those are That's why you have a safety person to make things safe. That's why you've got a dispatcher to move the product. Um, the driver is there to just drive, right? And, you know, they're all connected, um, but they silo them and then they just go after one after the other and, and there's not a lot of communication. And that's always been my experience as a driver, as a safety person and so forth. Um, but what I do see is a lot of um, the companies that are either hyper-focused on, um, you know, uh, like regulation, they're either, they could be super focused on that, thinking that they're they're having a great time. Or I find a lot of safety people that are great, well, well-educated with occupational health and safety, not so much on fleet side, right? And so when you go in and you start talking about a fleet, um, that's where you get the, you know, I'll, I'll just ask the basic question. How are you with national safety code? That It's a famous one. And you'll get back, hmm. Not so good, right? And it's like, but you're fabulous with with you know um, all the other regulations that uh, that come through with it, and you understand. But the good thing is, is at that point they understand hazards, they understand how to group things, they understand how to you know to do that. So now all you got to do is try to bring in the transportation side, right? Still not easy, but the conversation's a little bit a little bit better because there's that understanding moving forward. So. I, I, I'll take that as a positive, um, you know, but it's just it, it's one of those things that um, it's like a government agency. You don't get WCB uh, workers comp talking to, you know, the people at the National Safety Code, even though they affect one another. They don't they don't discuss it. Well, it's kind of the same in the trucking. Right. Yeah. It's nice though that you come at their strengths, though, instead of coming at it with your strengths, because I think when you're in a, in a role where you have influence, Often I see someone comes into the conversation. This is what I'm really good at. Why aren't you? Instead of, okay, tell me where you're at. And then you can approach the conversation that way to build a basically the relationship where it's like, okay, now we have some dialogue here. Now I can actually see what's happening. I think that's a smart approach. It's also really good leadership because then that individual, and I can speak on different people that have groomed me this way just through a meeting. And I'm like, I like how you did that. Thank you. Because then I can work with people's strengths instead of making it about myself. So I like that. Oh, I definitely leave the ego at the door. And you know what? I think after you've seen a couple hundred clients, you you learn that in a hurry. Um, and, and it teaches you as you go along. But I mean, that's another thing, too, is we can we can take from our experience of seeing a couple hundred clients and knowing that, you know, hey, um, out of out of that, you see 10 clients that this works really well. You can deliver that message doesn't mean that that message is going to work exactly the same for that company, but the ideology might just be, you know, implanted in their mind to, to help them along. But it's got to be from their company's perspective. It's got to work within their culture. It's got to work within what they do. And you have to respect that as you're going through this, because that's the only way you're going to make change. Um, if I walk in and say, you know, pounding my fist going, you know, I've done this for 20 years this is the way it's got to be. Well, that's not going to help them out. Yeah, agreed. So when you're working with just with industry as a whole, how would you determine if someone gets it? They're hearing what you're saying and you feel like, okay, yeah, they can make some changes or they're doing the right thing. Is there like a, is it a light bulb that clicks that you just happen to see? Or is it just how they portray themselves? Or how would you identify a carrier that's like, yeah, you understand what's, what's going on. This is good. A lot of times it's when I see the leaders. Um, you know, the leaders, when they come down and when the leaders sit down and all of a sudden they start asking questions, 
Um, questions are a really good thing. You know, I'm not a know-it-all. I don't have every answer, but when I don't have it, I'll go find it for you. Um, but ask the question. So when I'm, you know, when you're sitting there and you all of a sudden start seeing the questions coming at you and, you know, it fits the realm, but you can see by the way that they're asking the questions that it's not just, you know, your, your typical cut and dry, you know, they're looking forward. They're looking, you've, you've sparked their interest. You, you get something. And that is one thing that I try my very best to do, no matter who it is or what it is. Every time I go in to see a client, my goal is to leave you with something that you didn't have before I got there. I don't know what that's going to be until I'm there, but I'm going to do my best to leave you with something that was never there before. And that can happen within those conversations. Um, you know, it can it can happen even down the road because you do leave your card with them. You do leave an open door that you can come back and talk to me anytime you want because I'm here to help. I'm on your side. And that's the biggest thing. They, they may not see that we're on our side in our industry and what we do, but we certainly are. We're, we're, I've met so many of the professionals that do what I do. We're definitely on the side with the clients and we're trying to promote, to push them into the right direction. Um, so it's not trying to be malicious in any way, but they, um, uh, they, when they get it, it's just within the conversation. You can see it. You can see it in their eyes. You can see it in, and, but it usually has a pretty good culture to start with in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. And I love the intentionality because I talk about leadership. That's actually what I call a staple question that I was going to get to later, but I'm going to go right th- here or there right now because you hit it so well is what in your mind then allowed you to, to lead with intentionality. And when you said, I'm going to go into this meeting and I don't quite know yet what it is, but I'm going to leave them with something. And then I'm going to give them the card and it's an open door. And I think that goes back to your experience when you're 18 as well with those two professional drivers. But how did you, I guess, come about your way when you're creating that intentional legacy where you had a good meeting? Maybe it wasn't a quote unquote good as in the best attitude type meeting, but you had a good meeting. You left. How did you come with that? Or how did you build that type of framework to create that impact? Um, well, one, it was actually through a speaker, um, that I was listening to at once and I'm not one to really sit and and do that, but somebody said, no matter what you do, when you have this kind of influence or you're supposed to have this kind of influence, um, you know, always walk in with the intention that you're going to leave them with something positive. And within my company, we have such a strong culture and a strong leadership of, and this comes right from the very top down make the clients uh, visit with you or make their experience the best you possibly can, right? So, you know, it's driven. It is driven down for for us to do that. And I love it. But when you get to a client, and I've had them where they, um, you know, one comes to mind for sure, they cross their arms and they sit back and they look at me and they go, yeah, what's this all about? Um, That's where I got to turn around and go, you know what? I need to make you my friend. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, just stop this and, and, you know, end this and uh, move forward or anything. No, I'm going to make you my friend. That's, that's it. We're, we're, we're in this together. And I've done that several times and it works, but as long as you're leaving them with something, right, you always leave them with a positive. There's always going to be a negative somewhere down the line because it's risk. Um, And that's, that's just inherently the way it is. But if you go in with a positive, and you search for the positive, the negative will show, 
then you can work with it, right? You can, you can gel with it and you can work with it. And then you leave with a positive, right? And that's the way I want to be treated. And so that's the way I treat every company that I go into. Nice. I like that. I really admire that. I think that's a really good leadership the skill set that our industry can continue to adapt, continue to just own as their own space and how they lead. So I appreciate that for sure. The um, and, and like I said with Aviva, it's like you know it's driven uh, right from the top that we you know it's um, you treat the cut treat the client like you know like like they're gold. I mean you know you treat them like you want to be treated, right? And you know it's sometimes it's hard business conversations. But, you know, you still want to treat with respect. So it's it's an absolute even even the worst companies out there, they're still trying. You know, I, I haven't met anybody that's completely malicious. Right. Like, I, you know, it's not happened. And when they're really trying and they're they're having some issues or anything else like that, just absolutely treat them with respect. And, and you know what? You'll get more out of the you'll get more out of the deal, too. Yeah, agreed. So can with that effort or with that perspective of trying what advice, and again, I know this is a big question because there's so many different scenarios, but do you have common advice for those that you see are trying? Maybe they're not where they need to be, but just some form of encouragement, just something for our listeners that they can also take away. Is there anything that comes to mind? Well, it's, it, it, you're right. It is a big question because it's, it's going to be dynamic to, to the place that I'm visiting or the people that I'm visiting, or if you're doing, you know, per se, a, a conversation or you're doing a speech or something of that nature. Um, it really depends on that whole, that one particular situation, right? So like I said, I never know until I'm there. Um, but I always try to make that, like the, any advice is specific to who you are, right? I could talk to the same people um, every single day about training. You know, what kind of training are you going to need? We can discuss the training in the form of regulation. We could discuss it in the way of, you know, due diligence, um, and to make yourself even a little bit more defendable should something happen. Um, it depends on the conversation, but it's, uh, like I said, I, I really focus on the individuality of it. And, you know, I'm preparing for one right now and it's, and, and it's big, but it's the same thing. I'm going to try to focus on the individuality of, you know, where they are, where they go, um, why they're doing that. And the more I understand their backstory, the more I can help them along with the, you know, moving forward. Yeah, no, I, I like that. That's awesome. I appreciate that. And yeah, I just, I really value your leadership, Andrew. And I, again, when we first met for coffee, I was just like, I'm learning. Like I'm learning a lot of just, no, I appreciate that because again, part of my mission is connecting leaders, obviously the industry, but I'm trying to get better and I'm trying to become more resourceful, but also more empathetic for what people are going through and hearing mm-hmm. your, you've been in the game for a while. And you've held obviously leadership roles and you're in a really awesome role right now where I'm like, no, we're learning right now. We're learning how to value people. And you don't have to go in with, it's like a hard nose saying it's me. I have 20 years. Like you said, I really value that. So I appreciate that. Yeah. You know what? Some of these conversations can be hard, right? I mean, especially if a client is, uh, you know, I, I had a, I had a consulting company um, before I got into this. And I think that's where I had the real hard conversations with a lot of places um, you know, and, and even speaking about, you know, like what we've been speaking about, it really comes from the client or from the, from my time that I owned million mile safety, um, more so than now, um, you know, because you, you were able to really dig in and blend with the companies as a consultant and a lot of, and this isn't putting down consultants cause they're needed. Um, you know, I was one, so I, I, 
do have empathy to them, um, but they're always focused on compliance. You know, we'll get you through the audit, right? And everything else like that, where I tried to focus on the company to try to get the company to a better end result and make them understand that, you know, safety is there. Um, you, we, we all get safety, right? Don't step out in front of a bus, you're going to get hit, right? I mean, but safety is also commonsensical, right? But common sense is not there until it is taught. And a lot of people will look and, and you can see this when you go to places, they'll be like, wow, just that was like, use your common sense, buddy, right? The person may not have it seriously until it's been taught, right? And hopefully they don't get taught the wrong way, but you know, common sense isn't there until it's taught. But risk management isn't really that. It's, it's you know, again, it's looking backward and rubbing a crystal ball all at the same time, um, trying to get a really big holistic overview of what you're doing. And that's what I tried to do with most of them. Thanks. Yeah, I really, I, I appreciate that. And yeah, I like that. I love that word common sense where you're right though. If they don't know, they don't know. And just because you have the experience, you've been in those situations before where you almost lose a finger when you're trying to do this. It's like, yeah. okay, well for you now, yes, but you got to train that. You're right. So I think culture comes into play for sure. So the, well, I mean, you look at anything in the world and everything has a safety marking to it. You know, you're not supposed to eat this or you're not supposed to do this. And why? Because somebody's done it. Right. And, and, and the outcome wasn't so favorable. Right. So, you know, there's there's a reason why there's a safety guard there. There's a reason why when I look at a uh, garage and I see that you have a pit that I wanted to be protected because there's going to be a person that's not paying attention, that's going to fall flat in their face in there. It, it watch YouTube. It's everywhere. Yes. So true. So true. So now I appreciate that. And yeah. So before we end today, um, one of my other staple questions is, and again, I think you can speak highly on this because it's in your blood is your appreciation for professional drivers. And again, I think the pandemic helped us put a magnifying glass on the value that professional drivers serve bring, mm -hmm. but we know that's been going on for a lot longer than that. So can you, from your perspective, just kind of highlight, um, again, wherever you want to go with this, but what you're most grateful for in regards to professional drivers? Well, you know, I mean, people don't, I, I know that we say it all the time, if a truck brought it, or if you bought it and a truck brought it, um, there's, there's so many things that we do do. One thing that sticks out in my mind is when my oldest daughter was really young in school, they asked, what does your father do, right? What does your father do? What does your mother do? And she told them that I worked in an office um, because she was embarrassed that I drove a truck, right? She was very embarrassed by that. And when I asked her as she got older, where did you get that embarrassment from? And she said, well, it was because the kids and their, and their parents would say, that's, you know, that's bad. It came with a bad reputation. It was, you know, you were, you were the lowest on the totem pole. Right. And I mean, I'll, I'll admit that hurt. Right. I mean, you know, you're, you're busting your, your butt to do these things and, and it hurt, but I mean, you know, we're, we're in a, we're in a position now where we're going to need drivers. Um, you know, how do we, how do we get those drivers? How, how do we train those drivers and everything? And I really hope that the industry focuses on becoming, you know, social media is out there. People are posting everything about, about them that they do that's wrong. And mistakes are going to be made, right? You, you're human. Mistakes are going to be made. Autonomous mistakes are going to be made, right? So it doesn't matter. It's just there. Um, you know, you cannot get rid of every risk. 
sometimes you're going to be in a job that is inherently risky, right? Um, but I just hope that the industry keeps looking forward and keeps going forward because we need to attract some really good people. Um, and we've got to make this so that when, when new people step into it, it's not such a shock to their system. And, you know, that they're told right from the beginning, this is what's going to be required of you. This is the time that's going to be required of you. And this is, you know, how it works. And in, in again, in an overall sense, so that somebody doesn't feel so uh, completely jaded the minute that they step out of a driving school. Yeah. Key. That's really key. And I think, yeah, just new awareness up front instead of this isn't what I signed up for. I'm out of here. So, yeah, I appreciate oh, that. Yeah, that, that is bad. And, and that happens a lot where people won't tell somebody exactly what they're getting into or something. And you know what? You, you can look at it and go, well, I'm, it, I've got to give so much time for this. I've got to do this. But you can still create that as in the positive, right? You know, what you give, you get eventually down the line. And what, what you're going to give over here, you're going to get. But again, social media plays a big part in that. Um, it's not always so positive. Um, some of the driver's messages that I see on social media are not positive. Um, they get very negative towards, you know, customers, um, dispatchers, clients and stuff like that. And that, that there is not going to be helpful, but you know, for what I can do, whenever I meet a new driver, I will give them that they've, they've got all day for me. Like, you know, I'll give them what they need, uh, to make sure that, uh, that they go home at night. Yeah, I value that. And I just, I really value our conversation today. And again, as I continue to say, I'm just super grateful for the fact that you're willing to lead your vocal, your presence. And yeah, you're just a great person, Andrew. I'm really just, I'm really grateful. So I appreciate you hopping well, thank on. You it was great. Thank you. Thank you Absolutely. again. So no, I do appreciate it. If uh, someone does have a question or if they wanted to get in contact with you, are you comfortable with that? If they have a question about risk or how to, is that appropriate? They, they can, um, you know, in, in my current role, I really, just because of liability, obviously, right? Um, you know, I try to just govern myself towards where our clients are and that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, if somebody had like a, a regulation question or anything in general, just to do with drivers, I would hate to say no, and I'm not going to give you anything and, and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, yeah, they can, they can reach out to me. Um, even if I'm the funnel of that, they can reach out to myself. And then if it's appropriate, I can ask you. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you know, shoot me an email or, or, or something like that. And I mean, I, I love to help everybody. It's not, uh, you know, trucking isn't just for, for what we do with our clients and stuff. And you know what? You could be our client next week. We don't know. Right. So, um, you know, I, I'm not afraid to, to, uh, to give advice. I just won't, uh, necessarily do the job for the person type thing or something like that. But, um, you know, I've got a lot of honesty, but in, in that honesty comes, you know, a lot of gratitude for what they do. Absolutely. Okay. Awesome. So I appreciate that. And yeah, again, I just really appreciate you hopping on and yeah, I'm excited to see where everything goes for your journey and yeah, just thank you again. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Okay. Bye. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks again. You too. Take care. Be safe. Andrew, honestly, thank you so much for taking the time, joining me on the Truck Focus podcast, but also for the impact that you've been having in our industry. Just, uh, I'm just super grateful. I really appreciate the guidance that you shared during our conversation today. It was super powerful when you spoke with the backstory of the mentorship scenario, but also how that's really shifted your mind within our industry as you've just been a leader for quite some time and a mentor to so many people. It's just super phenomenal. And I appreciate the fact that, yeah, you're really vulnerable in that situation to share. It does mean a lot. 
Also, as I reflect on our conversation today, I really believe that when you were talking about being proactive in our communication, but also that it takes all levels of leadership to mitigate risk, to be involved, it's so true. And I think our industry leaders that are listening today, as well as our community and everyone involved, we can really accept that and own that advice. So again, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. And again, just I want to continue to say thank you. So again, if this was the first time that you've ever joined the Trek Focus podcast, I really welcome you to our community, but also to our dedicated community. Thank you so much again for taking the time to listen. And I just really appreciate the fact that you continue to show up, continue to create pivotal impacts in your environment because of the advice leaders like Andrew share. It's just super crucial. Earlier in the interview today, I did give you a challenge. I said, okay, if key advice, key knowledge was shared, that's impacting your journey or could impact your journey to let me know. Okay. Well, now is the time. So send me a message, send me an email, but also share it out and put it, put in the share. What, what piece of advice Andrew shared that you believe is going to create a huge impact just as you move forward. That's really important. Cause again, as we're creating pivotal impacts throughout our community, the ultimate goal is to reach as many people as we can within our industry. So again, that is the challenge. So make it happen. Yes, I know that uh, maybe I'm needy right now asking for these things. But again, I really just believe that when we're all working together, great things can happen. So Andrew, thank you again so much for taking the time joining me on the podcast. But again, for your continued impact in our industry, it's phenomenal. As always, let's create a pivotal impact.